This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 32. Akiba Made War. That ain't ketchup on your Amu rice. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is Justin Young. Holy moly, June, June! And once again, Eric Berg. Moi, moi, Kuhn. And today we are going to be talking about. Akiba Made War, released in 2022 by PA Works, directed by Soichi Masui, whose previous credits include things like Chika the Coffin Princess, Sakura Quest, and a show that was quite big when I first started getting into anime in the late 2000s, Scrapped Princess. The writer for this was Yoshihiro Hiki. I did a Google search for his name, and this is his only writing credit so far. And if this is his debut, then let's just say he's off to a pretty good start. Now, before we begin, I want to stress, this show is a lot more recent than some of the other stuff that I've covered. And considering that the show's body is still kinda warm, I'm going to put a spoiler alert right at the very start of the show. Because if you haven't seen Akiba Made War, I highly suggest that you do, because even though we're not going to go too far into spoilers, we will be spoiling some of this show for you. So if you don't want to be spoiled about Akiba Made War and why we think this show is so good, hit pause right now and go and watch it. If you don't mind spoilers, well then, you have been warned. So, my fellow butlers, what is Akiba Maid War about? There are oh, maid cafes that are effectively organized crime units, except not quite, and have decided to do guerrilla warfare through the streets of Japan over territory, sweets, money, and other kind of organized crime mafioso type stuff. It's a description that um, is quite simple, but it's kind of mad libby in its in its absurdity. Basically, that. Well, I was going to add. I was going to say it's more like it's corporate organized crime. I know it sounds kind of weird, but it'll make sense as played out. Yakuza style, and all seen through the light of an innocent one's eyes who has no clue what she's getting into. Specifically, a teenage girl named Nagomi, who joins up with a small maid cafe called the Oinky Doink Cafe, and soon enters the cutthroat world of the Yakuza- I mean, uh, maid cafes. <laughs> so, yeah. where did you first hear about Akiba Mate War, and what were your initial impressions of it? 
Okay, so pretty much Anime News Network. I just I saw maids, I saw guns, I saw Akiba, and being a huge bandmade fan that I want the studio audience to picture me wearing a bandmade shirt right now. I thought this is an anime that is tailor made for me. I saw the trailer on Anime News Network and I was like, yep. Like, if I could design an anime, this is darn near it. For whatever reason, High Dive seems to have my style of show running around. And so when I saw what it was about, <laughs> my wife was like, we have to watch this. And you you give me anything that reminds me of a Black Lagoon-esque uh, feel to it, I'm there. So there was just nothing going to stop me from seeing this insanity. And basically what my viewing experience of this turned into. Well, that and lots of music. Lots of music. I first heard about the buzz of Akiba Made War on social media. Because people who decided to go check the show out on High Dive, and I do have a High Dive account, but I admit that I don't use it very often. I always check out a show if there is buzz around it. Because I tend to limit myself to whatever I think is interesting. It's why I tend to watch a lot of older stuff rather than keeping up with current seasons. I always enjoy taking a look at stuff I either missed or stuff that has historical significance. But everybody was buzzing over the first episode of Akiba Made where I'm like, Oh, what's what's going on here? What is this? This this is amazing. This is incredible. This is weird, etc. And so I said, eh, you know what? Hmm... Maybe, just maybe, I'll check out this show about maids. I didn't know what to expect. I know that Dan, he encouraged me to watch it, saying like, dude, you will really love this show. And I, not one to doubt my friend Dan, I decided to go and check it out. And I watched that first episode, and as soon as it ended, I immediately phoned him and the first words out of my mouth to Dan was simply, What the hell was that? And Dan just lost it. I was absolutely floored by that first episode. I don't know what I was expecting, but I got exactly what I wanted. And I stuck with the show all the way to the end, and I can safely say, Akiba Made War lives up to all of its praise this show is so good but we can get into detail as we go along so as always we're gonna start with the animation and i don't think we're gonna have much to say about it do we have any like major critiques of the show's animation it's pretty good for what it is even though it's i don't know i never thought it was groundbreaking or anything but but it gets it helps get the point across so well. Like the little stuff. Kind of like an actual made cafe in a way. It's the little stuff that, that sets it apart and gives it its own unique style. Because I will say this, this show I won't even go as far as to say that once it gets going, it looks like nothing else in anime. Once it gets going, that is. Yeah, I mean the action pieces are really, really good. They obviously knew where to spend their budget. Um, there's a boxing scene that's really impressive. The fight in the first episode is is pretty out of this world. And they're not will they're 
they're certainly willing to go over the top with the violence, which is good because it, it works for the rest of the show and do that both in quality and uh, effects on animation. It's not something you're going to say like visually revolutionized anything, but it's done at a very high level in all the places it needs to be. Yeah, exactly. It's, you can tell they had, they had parts of each episode of, I assume someone in the board went, Oh yeah, we're on that. We're going to get on that because I wanted to especially shout out the people who did the vehicle detailing for this show. That's the kind of vehicle detailing I haven't seen in anime since Akira. And I love being able to pick out the A70 Toyota Supras and the Cadillacs and all the other vehicles. It helps bring the um, time period of the show to life. But also it's a loving little shout out to car people like me um, who really appreciate that. I love my maids with a side of sports cars. They did a good job of establishing it at the time period. Um, no offense, but lesser anime have at times been like, it's set in 1999. And then you're like, look, I lived in 1999. That's that's not what that looks like. So they, they were good on the details that allowed to set it in the various periods it, it sets itself in. Exactly. You see a lot of anime when they, they say they're set in the 20th century, but it, I'm like, bruh, this looks like 2013 or whatever. You know what I mean? Very little, very rarely, excuse me, do you see shows going the extra mile in terms of convincing you that this is 99. Well, short of, I would say short of backdating the actual animation itself, since we all know the anime did not look like this in 1999, but the show has, does a good job of dancing around that i just want to say justin only you would uh pick up on the details of all the vehicles in the background yeah i i will have to say though i do agree with you eric the biggest problem i have with the show's visuals is that akiba made war is set in 1998 but it doesn't look like it's 1998 and it's not a problem that is just unique to the show there are plenty of anime that are set in, say, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, but, you know, they don't dress like the time period. There's not too many aesthetics that make it feel like you're in the time period. There's this rather forgettable OAV called Z-Mind, and it's about a trio of girls who pilot a super robot in sometime in the 70s. But, outside of... Outside of a television showing clips of the classic Sunrise Mecha anime Brave Rydeen, there's nothing in that OAV to suggest that the show takes place in the 70s. It doesn't have a 70s color palette, the girls aren't wearing 70s fashion, even the music doesn't reflect it being the 70s, it just so happens to be set in that specific year. Funny you mention the music. I have a lot to say about the music when we get to that. Two small details that I appreciate, though. I like how the maids that are higher up on the chain of command have more ornate and intricate-looking outfits. The maids that are lower on the totem pole have very basic street-like maid outfits, like the kind that you could buy in a costume shop, whereas the maids who are higher up on the chain have actual Victorian maid outfits. My favorite specifically belonging to the show's big bad, Nagi, the head of Creatureland group. That's pretty much my thoughts exactly with costuming. I noticed that for our girls at the Oinky Doink, 
those outfits, while tailor made, you could they kind of look like you get them at Spirit Halloween if it existed back in '99. Someone better fact check that for me. Whereas you see Nagi's outfit, and I can tell you, I know someone who does costuming for uh, the Victorian era. I think she would she would agree with me in saying that it looks like it's very about on par with that air in terms of being super ornate. Yeah, I mean, you come to Akiba Made War for for many things, and and you're going to get a lot of them. Costume is good. Some of the details on the setting work. Some of them don't in terms of time period. The animation is pretty darn good when it needs to be, but it's not quite the main attraction. So. It, it does its job really well for what it is. And that's not to say it's not very good. It's just, especially coming off some of the other masterpieces of, of history that you've, you've had on the show, you know, I don't think it's going to stand up with all of them. One other little detail I like, and this has to do with the Oinky Doink itself, you really do get a sense that the Oinky Doink Cafe is at the very bottom of the totem pole of the maid hierarchy. It looks run down. It's set in a basement. The furniture looks very cheap. I've been to maid cafe settings like this in New York City, where they're operating out of, like, say, the party room at a restaurant. It feels very much like they just rented the space rather than having a full-time cafe set up. Exactly. It actually it reminds me in a bad way of that time I when I used to work at an anime store, and it did. It, it kind of looked a lot like that, <laughs> funnily enough. But also, it's charming in a way. In real life, I love underground restaurants, well, restaurants and bars for that reason, because it's a little. It looks dirty, but still functional. Very indie right here. You can tell that they're getting screwed over by corporate, but also it has that scrappiness to it that, in a way, really sets up the back half of the series. Yeah, the one thing I would add is the world of the big city it is pretty well reflected. They There's a nice detail where Nagami has to go and chill her little cards and brochures in, like, the worst of the back alley of a city where it's just like, oh, there's a dumpster here and three people walk by at a given time. So it, it has some kind of nice notes of, of kind of the big city world too, where it's not just the flashy Times Square. It's also, you know, the access alley where the dumpster lies. It's like the wire in a way. Shout out to Lance Reddick. May God rest his soul. My favorite location, it's only in there for one episode, that little hideaway down by one of the canals or where Ronko has a secret meeting with somebody. Won't say who, naturally, because of spoilers. But I just love how that whole scene is lit, and I love that sort of riverside location. It's intimate, but also unsettling at the same time. That is one thing that Akaba Maidwar does really shine at, is using creative lighting whether they're using it through the lighting on like the stage of the maid cafe uh, through glow sticks and then kind of using that to symbolize the light of gunfire to the scene you're talking about. I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it, but the, some of the lighting things they do in animation is really quite impressive and does stand out. 
Exactly. Do we have anything else to add about the animation, our likes and dislikes? I think I hit them all. At least that's from what I remembered. Yeah, I think we pretty well covered it. I also feel that the lack of it not having that 90s feel kind of extends to the soundtrack, which is composed by longtime anime composer Yoshihiro Ike, and he's done some pretty significant things. Did the music for Tiger and Bunny, Ergo Proxy, the 2019 Dororo anime, he did Be the Beginning, Blood the Last Vampire, and something I really, 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 really want to talk about on this show... Shinesman. Shinesman. That's the only, of all the shows you, you just read off, that's the only one I know is a distinctly 90s show. And also, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the animation. Of, but you know what's funny about you mentioned Tight when his, his other previous credits, especially since there were, a lot of them are big shows from the 2000s, is that I never got 90s from the soundtrack. It just made me go, where the hell is all the band made? Since it's a show about made shooting shit, you know what I mean? I mean, the soundtrack itself is not bad. Just nothing about it really stands out. It does its job. There's a lot of blues on this one. A lot of tracks that sound like it's just EK and his band jamming. But it kind of lacks the punch that Aka 13 soundtrack had. And, you know, we want to talk about that 90s aesthetic. Just ditch the big bands and bring on the cheesy synthesizers. Hell yeah. Cheesy synthesizers for the win, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good soundtrack. It it doesn't necessarily give you the, the date or age it as much as it could have, but does a pretty good job. And the insert songs nail it for the style, which is pretty impressive given all the different genres it's trying to mash together here. It's a good soundtrack, but it, I think you're kind of hit something where it just doesn't really feel cohesive. Yeah, I do think that's, you know, when it's trying to do one thing, it's pretty good at that. And when it's trying to do the other thing, it's pretty good at that. But it's not, not, not always congruent from side to side. One thing I did notice about the soundtrack is all the hat tips to Idol Pop, which... Earth, which I get, I get the joke of some maid cafe. Oh, look at how girly it is, yada yada yada. But I noticed that it seemed to clash with a lot of the sonic palette of the show instead of add to it. It was a couple disjointed jazz or blues riffs, then an odd studio horn section, which was really weird, but. Then you get an idol pop song out of the blue, and I'm like, uh, okay. Like, I get the joke, but it's a little too on the nose, you know? I much preferred the slower tracks that made it sound like they were out of an actual mob movie, as opposed to the more rockin' and jammin' sort of songs. Yeah, there were tracks that would have felt perfectly feasible in an anime like 91 Days, which was... Which was fun. There was uh, the first time I watched it, I remember they've got a couple spots where they throw some classical guitar in where it feels like an Italian mob movie. And it, you're just like, oh, yeah, there. I recognize it. I see what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. 
That's exactly what that's that's my thoughts exactly. Although cheesy synthesizer like Nate said earlier, <laughs> that would have been re- that would have actually told me, ah yes, this is a nineties anime that came out in twenty twenty two. If there is one thing in the soundtrack that I can say I really enjoyed though, it would have to be the ending song to Akiba Made War. Oh my god, yes. Is it just me or does it remind you of the ED from Black Lagoon? It's got that same kind of like reflective, not necessarily in style, but in just how it kind of sums up and tries to bring everything back to, you know, the emotional heart of the show. I actually didn't get that vibe because I understand that the ending song and its visuals are meant to be a parody. The ending song... Meido no Komoriyuta is actually a very popular kind of Japanese song called an enka. If you don't know what an enka is, enka is traditional Japanese folk music that is played with modern instruments. If you watch a lot of samurai movies or period dramas or Yakuza films and dramas, you'll hear enka music often, You either during the opening credits or the ending credits if you've ever played the first WarioWare game cotton on stage has an enka song as background music for their stage good yeah, to know quite a bit of movies on tubi use that a lot that's how i'm familiar with it also the way the credits are structured rather than scrolling or just popping in on the sides of the screen like most anime endings do they read like traditional japanese movie credits reading from right to left, with the kanji arranged vertically. Interesting you point that out. It's embracing the thing that it's parodying. Yes, and that actually, I had this on my notes for last week. I read uh, on my research that someone compared the show's style to, of all things, of all things, like 70s or 80s Japanese pink movies. Of all things. At first, I was like, that's kind of weird. This makes sense on the surface, but let's just say I did some hem research for the group. And it actually, it comes through in about the weirdest ways you can imagine. And one of them, upon further re- upon further watching, was definitely the end credits. It's like pink movie with a dash of mob, if that makes any sense. I am not. It's definitely got some exploitation movie send ups, too. Well, hold that thought, guys, because right now I got to get through the voice cast and I'll try to make this quick. Nagomi, our main maid, is voiced by Reina Kondo. She is the voice of Nikaido in Dorohedoro, Ryo Shinonome in Cinderella 9, Pao Nekoyanagi in Sabikui Bisco. And Roni Arabelle in Sword Art Online Alicization. Ronko is voiced by Rina Sato, and she's got quite the resume. She is Mikoto Misaka in the Magical Railgun series, Kaede in Nonon Byori. She is the voice of Negi Springfield in every iteration of Negima and UQ Holder. She is Makoto in Persona 5. Vert, a.k.a. Greenheart, in the Hyperdimension Neptunia series, and is currently the voice of Ray Hino, a.k.a. Sailor Mars, in Sailor Moon Crystal. 
Yumechi is voiced by Minami Tanaka. She is Minami Katayama in Wake Up Girls, Meari Saotome in Kakegurui, Junko Heki in High School Fleet, and Hinata Okano in Assassination Classroom. Tomoyo Kurosawa is the voice of Shipon. She is Miria Akagi in the Idolmaster Cinderella Girls, Kumiko Omae in Sound Euphonium, Otome Arisugawa in Aikatsu. If you have a Netflix subscription, you can hear her as Goal in Record of Ragnarok and as Rebecca in Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Now, Zoya is kind of an interesting case because I thought it was just a Japanese actress who is doing what I can only describe as what a Russian accent sounds like to the Japanese. But upon looking at the credits, no. Zoya is actually voiced by a native Russian. Holy shit. I believe she also does the voice in the English dub, too, if I'm correct. Oh. Uh, no, she doesn't. That's Caitlin Barr. Oh, I had that wrong. Her name is Yevgenia Davidyuk, or as she is known by her stage name, Jenya. She is a Russian model who works as a television and radio personality in Japan and has actually several voice credits to her name. She was fantastic. I love how the show always finds a way to come out of left field with something. Doesn't whether it's the writing or the voice cast or or the action or whatever. Something's always coming out of the left field, and in this case, it's getting a freaking Russian model to voice a character. That is just gangster. She has actually been in quite a few things, namely is bit roles, but her most common credit outside of doing voice work is as a, quote, Russian language consultant. Basically, if you have a character that speaks Russian, or have a scene where the characters have to speak Russian... The studios will go to her and ask her, Hey, uh, how do we say this line? Her name appears in the credits of things like Helsing Ultimate, Evangelion Thrice Upon a Time, Black Lagoon, and, uh, Seikon no Quasar. Now, for the past couple of podcasts, I have made reference to Symphogear. Making it two podcasts in a row, I was hoping that I could go a whole podcast without having to mention Symphogear... But as I went through the voice cast, twas not to be, because the manager of the Oinky Doink Cafe is voiced by Ayahi Takagaki, the voice of Yukine Chris in Symphogear. The Symphogear universe expands. Some things never change. First Yukiaoi in Aka 13, now Ayahi Takagaki as the manager in Akiba Maid War. If I see Nana Mizuki in what I'm reviewing next. Ugh. Anyway, aside from being Yukine Chris, she is Lizbeth in Sword Art Online, Kuro in Blue Exorcist, Mikako in Heaven's Lost Property, and Erika Karisawa in Dorarara. One more maid that we have to talk about is the villainess of the show, Nagi, voiced by Junko Minagawa. She is the voice of Cornelia in Code Geass, not Atsuko Tanaka. I made that mistake in the last episode because I was going off the top of my head. I remembered things wrong, unfortunately, but I digress. 
She is Ryoma Echizen in Prince of Tennis, Akira E. Ferrari in the Arya series, Yun in Yona of the Dawn, and for those who are fans of this series, she is Sagita Weinberg in Sakura Wars 5. Also, the resident panda of the Oinky Doink Cafe is a voice actor, but uh, we can't tell you who they are because that's kind of a spoiler. <laughs> Nopey McNoperson. Anyway. You have to appreciate a uh, show that at some points has credits of just question marks because they don't want to blow the joke either. Yeah, and I appreciate when dubs respect that as well, other than saying, hey, did you know that this character voiced by this actor is also voiced by this actor too? Gee, what a funny coincidence. <laughs> that was a great segue into the dub. Yeah, the dub for Akiba Maid War is, uh, well, it's a Sentai dub, and I don't know, Sentai's dubs can be hit or miss, and... I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it with this one. I have a lot to say about this one, because this dub kind of took me places. And as of right now, it's still taking me places. So, it has that, um, what I call the magic school bus quality to it. Where, um, kind of like the kind of like what I first thought of Girls in Panzer, where it's very explainery. Is more there to present the story to you instead of, you know, act it out. But it has its moments and its scripting is built like a tank. Like, how many times have you heard in a anime dub that doesn't make you go, oh, they should have said this or that or the other thing? Like, it also has some of the most refreshing F-bombs I've ever heard in a dub. There's a few I could use, but we'd be here all night, so I'm going to skip that part. But it was actually pretty satisfying to hear a dub that is having fun. I'll give the cast credit. The dub casts are having a lot of fun with the show. Even if it's a little it has the slightly ramshackle magic school bus quote unquote sound to it that we're so familiar with from Sentai. I think this one's definitely more of a grower, not a show or overall yeah i the first time i watched it was sub i watched the whole dub i usually go for dubs because you just pick up more but i think the sub wins out on this i think the casting is done a little better the main character in the dub i think she does a decent job but she's kind of a weak link in the dub which is always going to be a problem when it's your main character and the dub doesn't at least to me, it felt like the first three or four episodes, they didn't quite know what they had. And then it does get rolling. I think you're right. By the end, it's 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 kind of gotten its rhythm down. But I don't know. I just felt it was pretty uneven at times. Although the one place where the dub killed it was some of the background. You know, So often in dubs, the background characters are just the worst part of the dub. And in this case... That was not the case. They're like, you have eight lines. Go enjoy and make the most of every single one of them. And that was absolutely delightful. But I do agree exactly. that the writing was really tight. And that goes for both the sub and the dub. It is such a funnier show than you would ever imagine. It has a really wicked sense of humor. And that comes across in both. I forgot to mention another thing about the uh, sub. I watched this in both English and Japanese. The sub 
actually had a lot of good punch to it. It's frankly, it's so it helped uh, contribute to the memeable status among me and my friend over here because everybody's clearly having fun and they're nailing, they're just nailing the whole, the what I call the maid sound. Like, think of how you think maid cafe waitresses sound. They do a really good job of translating that in the sub. Like, even though I'm pretty sure all the voice actors in the show have never worked in a maid cafe, they can sell the sound of one, which it's kind of there. They clearly lean in for more of the adult angle on the dub, but the sub, it feels more like this is a maid cafe attraction where crazy stuff happens instead of this is a mafia movie, but everybody's wearing short skirts and maid outfits. Still love the dub, though, but I'm just going to point that out. Uh, and you mentioned their ability to act as if they're in a maid cafe. And also, I think my favorite voice performance of the entire thing is Ronko in the original Japanese, because her deadpan delivery just kills me every time. And considering that Ronko also sings the ending song as well, I love her vocal performance on that Enka. Especially just how soulfully she says, Moe Moe Kyun. Do it with more enthusiasm. That was with enthusiasm. <laughs> that is a vibe. That is a bandmade concert vibe, I tell you what. One complaint I have about the dub also, it's how they localize the saying of Moe Moe Kyun. Now, I understand that sometimes you don't want to include actual, literal Japanese words in there so that it flows better, but the localization of the Moe Moe Kyun phrase as super duper smooch just baffles me. Because I've been to several US-made cafes and I've watched several members of Hololive English say Moe Moe Kyun on stream. It doesn't sound unnatural when an English person says it, so why'd they change it? They had some other pronunciation problems that actually they kind of fixed later in the dub, but Akuba uh, oh. got said about three different ways over the course of it, and they were just kind of some weird, easy mistakes that you would have kind of thought they would have fixed in terms of localization. Yeah, the Sentai's dubs can be kind of hit or miss. And I don't think this is one of their weaker efforts, but it's definitely inferior to the Japanese, unfortunately. Is it weak? No. Is it kind of sloppy? Yeah. E Amateurish. And not in the sort of way that a manga UK or Coastal Studios dub would sound, where the acting is a bit ropey, but everybody's having a good time. It just feels like the director's heart wasn't in it. Oh, yes. Actually, Nate just, well... If it hasn't been woken up already, thanks, Nate, for waking up my inner bandmate fan. The reason I say that is because it's kind of, uh, it's been pointed out as well, it's, it's, a, it's a thing here in the U.S. now. So to not include it at this point, it's like, bruh, we could have at least leave that one in because it, it works. It's, in, it's a thing in U.S. made cafes at cons. It's literally the motto of that aforementioned band. They do it at their concerts, so a lot of people by now should know that saying just from that alone. It's on YouTube. And to have it missing from the dubs, kind of, it's awkward. And yeah, it's very, 
still very um, Magic School bus in a way. I don't want to say this is a bad dub. I just wish it was better than what we've been given. And considering that High Dive's app is busted on TV, I can't change to the Japanese, so I had to watch this on my computer. And call me a boomer all you want, I can't watch anime on anything that isn't a television. Well, I'm right behind you on that. I was actually going to say that, yeah, it is calling it busted on TV was an understatement. I mean, I'm glad I got a high dive account for this, but also having to curl up on my around my laptop, the very one I'm recording on this, as a matter of fact, after work. Uh, it's not unwinding. It's more, hey, let's try not to, you know, freeze. Or what if your leg starts twitching? Or, oh, what if the laptop falls over? I don't want to have my anime ruined by that. Yeah, I kind of wish they just, I wish we had a proper TV app to watch this on. It also would have made the show feel a little bit bigger. I'll send you some HDMI cables. <laughs> I would need one that's like 20 feet long for my room. No, to get to Nate to close out the dub, I don't mind mediocre dubs when you feel like there's not a whole lot could be improved on. But this is one of those, just give me the Black Lagoon cast and that type of, you know, theory on this. And oh my gosh, they could have blown it out, which would have been wonderful. I agree completely. Ocean Studios would have knocked this one out of the park, especially if you get Carl Willems to direct it, because he will put his all into that kind of dub. But uh, I think we've talked enough about the superficial stuff. Let's get to the heart of Akiba Maid War. And to me, the appeal of Akiba Maid War is a simple one. And it has nothing to do with anything deeper meaningful it's that Akiba Maid War is a very honest show. It tells you immediately what it is in the very first episode. Akiba Maid War is a tongue-in-cheek parody of Yakuza films. Not just a parody, but not just a parody of Yakuza films, but a lot of things in general. It's other parodies, but the mindset behind the people who made this show seemed to be... What if we did a Yakuza drama, but with maids? Like, swap out all the major plot points in a Yakuza series with maids and other moe stuff. And it's a mix that goes so well together. It shouldn't work. And does it? And does it go well together? And I think part of the reason why it works so well is just how much Akiba Maid War embraces this concept. A while back, Justin, you and I reviewed Kemono Michi, which was an isekai show about a wrestler who loves animals that gets transported to a magical fantasy land. The big problem that I had with it, aside from it just being another bog-standard isekai anime, was that Kemono Michi couldn't really commit to its bit. It didn't know whether it wanted to be a story about a wrestler in a fantasy land or an animal lover in a fantasy land, so it combined the two together, and the result is an irritating mess of a show. From the creator of Konosuba, a show that I like. If you're going to take a idea that is kind of off the beaten path and different and new, you have to just be all in on it and embrace it fully, and there can't be any 
you know, hesitancy holding you back on it. And uh, there, there is nothing holding this show back, which is how it works. I saw us exactly. I mean, there's always something coming out with this show. Something always coming out of the cut. Doesn't matter if it's a new joke, new character, new situation. Always something. The commitment level is almost initial D-like in terms of how hard it goes to get to get the bit. I have not seen initial D, but the common criticism I hear from people who don't like it is that it takes itself too seriously to the point of self-parody. But Akiba Made War knows exactly what it's doing from start to finish. There's yeah, certainly no mistake in what it's trying to accomplish. It doesn't just parody Yakuza dramas either. The third episode is a fun spoof of Ashtano Joe. And later on, there is a baseball episode that Jun Maeda only wishes he could write. That was one of my favorite episodes. Oh, we it, just go to a sports anime for a for an episode, and it's brilliant. It's one of the funniest baseball episodes this side of Samurai Champloo. Yes, my thoughts exactly on that. Actually, I'm gonna go one step further. This is my favorite baseball episode ever. Period. There's another episode where the maid equivalent of Gunnery Sergeant Hartman comes to their cafe to whip the maids into shape. <laughs> yes. But it also even has like a bit of like a workplace comedy set up to it. If you've ever had an incompetent boss or that episode you're talking about, about almost like a training arc, it just reminded me of, have you ever been to a corporate workshop? Welcome to this episode. I thankfully I, do not work a job where I have ever gone to a corporate workshop. You are a fortunate, fortunate person. And another strength I feel that Akiba Made War has, in addition to having a lot of fun parody, it also has a strong core cast of characters. The one we follow around is, of course, Nagomi, who I just wrote down is meant to be the audience POV character, but she doesn't come off as being a self-insert. She's thrown into this, and she's pretty blown away by it just as much as the audience is, but nothing about it feels unnatural. She's the unwilling participant in these dark underworld activities. She's come into the world of Yaka's, I mean, maids, and she's going to get a taste of just how cruel and cutthroat the world can be. Not to go hard on the spoilers for a second, but let's just say that was one of my favorite executed parts of the show was was how she reacts to all these yakuza situations because <laughs> i'll admit i had i kind of was like yeah this is kind of a i've seen a lot of like you know mob movies a couple yakuza movies even then if i found myself going oh shit here we go we got another one everybody just take cover try not to get shot because you never know who's gonna die in this show really like I said, this show has tricks. Boom, 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 boom. I think what's kind of interesting, too, is not to spoil anything, but there's always a question when you have stuff that's this crazy is you'd ask, well, wouldn't I leave? Or wouldn't you you'd like try to get yourself the shit out of here? But they kind of answer that in a few different plot beats and plot points that I thought was a really nice touch because it 
it made it feel a little bit less like, oh, this person's sticking around because, well, you know, we wouldn't have a story otherwise. And a lot more, well, the person's sticking around because that's what the character demands, kind of. But of course, as the show goes on, we see Nagomi grow as a character, going from this unwilling participant into the world of the Yakuza to, well, gonna go light on the spoilers here, but one who's accepting of what she has to do in order to get by in a cruel, cruel world. Yeah, I think she decides, you know, there are more important things than getting away from this, and, and there's something to that. We deal with a lot of craziness if it keeps us with things that matter to us. Yep. It was something I kind of saw coming a while away to an extent. But also, it's good to see genuine character growth like that. Because I'll admit it, you don't see a lot of that these days. You see a whole lot of character either stays more or less static or the character only changes because the plot said so, and if it didn't change, the whole show would just fall apart. But in Nagomi's case, darn, I'm trying not to ruin ruin episode 12, but um, let's just say it's very, um, it is very genuine, but for the right reasons, shall I say. And of course, the person who shows Nagomi through the world of the Yakuza maids is, of course, the character who I like to designate as being the star of the show. Even though she is not the central character, a lot of the marketing material is around her, and that is Ronko, the veteran maid. Dare I say Ronko? By the end, I actually had... Ronko is actually kind of my favorite character, if I'm going to be honest. Because it's clear that the writers gave her a lot of weight perhaps to the detriment of a couple of other characters, but it's justified in the end. And you never really thought of her as like being the real MVP by the first episode. I'm going to be honest. I didn't really see her as the MVP, even after that showed out. But around episode seven was when I was like, okay, I'm starting to think Ronko is the MVP. Even if, we, the audience, are supposed to be tied at the hip to Nagomi's story and Nagomi's philosophy. You end up sympathizing with Ronko the most, not just for the usual reasons, but because she's so different compared even to her contemporaries that it ends up being a, a breath of fresh air by the time you get to the final two episodes. It's not an exact comparison, but it reminds me a little bit of how Rock is the main character, but Revy is the best character, right? Nah. Or it's, is nah. the more... Nah, that honor goes to main... Balalaika. Okay, you're right. But of, of the main cast, I'll say maybe not best, but it seems to be the main attraction. And so it's kind of the same way here, where Nagomi brings you into this world, but... To some extent, the, the story, the most interesting and kind of longest story arc is is definitely Ronko's. Ronko, I don't want to say she is the most important character, but she, as I said earlier, she's the star, the centerpiece of the show. 
the unlucky tug did a bit how there is a distinction between the most important character versus your favorite character. Because sometimes the best character in the show is not always the one that gets the spotlight. Revy might be the star of Black Lagoon, but Rock is the most important character, especially in the later arcs. I think that's right. Likewise, to give you some examples of this, to go a few episodes back, the most important character in Future Boy Conan is Conan, but my favorite is Captain Dice. The most important character in Yu-Gi-Oh! is the Pharaoh, but my favorite is Joey Wheeler. Or Katsuya Jonochi, if you're watching the subtitles. The most important character in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders is Jotaro, but my favorite is Joseph. Shockingly, though, my favorite character is neither Ronko nor Nagomi, but I like the chemistry between the two. Ronko, much like how Nagomi sees Ronko as a mirror for what a maid should be, Ronko sees Nagomi as a more youthful, innocent version of her past self. Because later it's revealed that Ronko went to jail for something. She spent some time in jail, and it turns out ten years in the joint made you a frickin' maid. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was brilliant that was brilliant but part oh, of the yeah, reason why Ronko returned to being a maid especially at a cafe that is so low on the food chain is that she doesn't have anywhere else to go Nagomi can just simply leave Oinky Doink at any point and just get a normal job like some many others but Ronko doesn't have anywhere else to go She's been a maid her whole life, she did her time, and once she's been out of jail, where else can she go? She sees Nagomi as the sort of person she wishes that she could be. A much more younger, innocent, rather naive sort of girl, rather than being the hardened, rather than being the toughened, hard-nosed maid that she is. Yeah, and they, she fits in pretty well with the rest of you know, the Oinky Doink Cafe, some are more talented than others, but there's a reason why they're all here and definitely not the top tier of, of maid cafes. They are at the very bottom of the pyramid of power in the maid game. Which surprisingly is, in the universe anyway, seemingly boiling down the two huge jazz companies which is which was an interesting dynamic a little bit of business politics in there as well yay well the two big made corporations the creature land group and made alien are basically meant to be stand-ins for yakuza families especially when you know that the yakuza have their tentacles in so many businesses throughout Japan in which case both nagi and I forget the name of the girl who's head of Maid Alien. They're meant to be the heads of a Yakuza family. And the two are rivals with each other. And as such, the politics between the two gets very, very ugly later on. Especially when Maid Alien brings in one of their special enforcers. Actually, fun fact. According to some of my research on this show, it actually was a thing at one point for... Yakuza to own maid, maid cafes. I am not surprised about that at all. 
Oh, me neither. This was about the least surprising fun fact I've learned about this show, which honestly is saying something. Hey, if you can make money in it, the Yakuza will be there. True that. Do we want to talk about Shippon and Yumechi? Because I just sort of felt that they were there. They're more or less along for the ride. I found them to be fun characters, and there were moments in the story where they kind of get their own story beats, but, you know, for the most part, you're not here for them. <laughs> you're here for everything else going around. They were fleshed out enough, but I, I agree. They didn't, you know, knock it home to me really hard, except in that I thought they were both really good in the maid training episode. That was, I thought, kind of their high point. So I actually have a lot to say about these two. I really like Yumechi's design. Like, because, granted, her design's very what you think of when you think Maid Cafe. But also, she's got a bit of a sonic edge to her, and both in the way she's portrayed in English and Japanese. And I'll admit, um, she kind of reminded me of mine from Akame Got Kill, just not as loud and shouty. So, color me shocked when we don't get a feature on her we get kind of a feature on Sheepone, who i'll admit of the main group is at the bottom even lower than zoya somehow but we got a feature on her i'm disappointed we didn't get one on yumechi honestly Sheepone, i'm not i really i'm not a big fan of gal character i always found them kind of annoying and really hard to pull off but at least she wasn't actively antagonizing my soul like a lot of gal characters do. But honestly, we, this might be a bit of a hot take, but we could have swapped her episode out with a backstory on Yumechi, and it would have really... I would have rather preferred that. It would have really helped the show out in terms of pushing things along. Also, it kind of says something when I prefer Sheepone Sans makeup in episode four versus Sheepone and her normal character design. That's just me. I wish they did a little more with those two, but at the same time, most of the development is focused on Ronko and Nagomi. I honestly don't know what else you could have done with those characters to make them more interesting. Yumechi is very much the feisty, hot-blooded one. Shippon, as you said, is a gyaru. She's kind of an airhead. Yeah, I think they made a smart decision with not going too much into either of them. Sometimes you can overcook a show and by basically giving everybody full and huge backstories, it feels like it's just cutting away from the main point you're trying to make. Hey, look, Agamaka kill. Uh, <laughs> how topical. Oh. But at the end of the day, I, I thought they were well done for what they were trying to do in a supporting character. And they hit hard when they need to. And every character is funny as all get out. So it works really well in the whole show. But, of course, we got to talk about the best character in the whole series, and that is, of course, the manager. Yeah. I oh, love the manager. Monkey. She is so much monkey. fun. I always hate to spoil jokes, but it's the only way to sum up the manager. What do we need? A manager that knows what she's doing? She is so delightfully incompetent, and in every way where you just are constantly facepalming of, Really? You're gonna of course you're gonna try this. You're you're too stupid to do anything else. I love characters of authority 
that suck at their job, like the principal from prison school. That's a good example of that. She does have a name. Her name is Yasuko Yaigeshi, but we will forever know her only as the manager. And the way I describe her, she's Mr. Krabs if Mr. Krabs was flat broke. More Mr. Krabs, but with everything conceivable wrong. She does actually care about her mates, just not enough to, uh, you know, be successful. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Only, I was also going to add that, slight tangent from all the funniness and stupidity, I'm just going to be that another, another blazing take for all those on the internet watching this. Um, I'm just glad we get an insane, incompetent, gambler addict character that isn't a guy for once. Because two, because I'm pretty sure this is one thing that we like we talked about 90s anime earlier. One thing where I'm kind of glad we're not back in the 90s for is manager still being a guy, but also being a dumbass. I get the feeling that the manager would not be as interesting a character if it was a guy. I think the manager exactly. being female is what makes her so endearing. Oh, hardcore, especially in the physical comedy, like in episode three. Oh, yeah. Um, imagine a guy trying to pull that gag off. It would have been either just eye-rollingly stupid or not funny. But as long as it's Yasuko, the woman doing it, it is some funny shit, I tell you what. It's a whole different dynamic when you have a female manager who's willing to sell her girls out to make a quick buck as opposed to a guy doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Having a full female cast was also absolutely the right... I mean, okay, there's like one or two very few male characters, and having it be a full female cast was absolutely the right idea to do for that exact problem of, of dynamics that you couldn't have some of these jokes and other things hit like they could have unless it was built like it was there are a few male characters but there's only like two who have names the yakuza tycoon kijima in episode three and an old love interest named suehiro who appears later on in the show kind of missed my favorite guy in the whole series debt collector coon yeah, I love him the, so the, much. The, the most featured ones don't even have names. It's just the Debt Collector, who kind of looks like Tracy from Pokemon, and the General, who owns a ramen shop. Those two are actually my favorite guy characters. Mostly Debt Collector-kun. She I loved his no-bullshit style. It helps sell a lot of the jokes, particularly Manager, pretty well. Also, it's refreshing to not have a guy that's around maids all the time and not and act like an asshole because, oh, girls and maid outfits, I gotta be horny as fuck now. You see a lot of that, particularly in, in a lot of modern... I know it's not a sex comedy thing, but it's, like, it's a lot of... It's in a lot of, like, etchy or etchy-ish anime these days, and it's kind of it's kind of an old joke, but I just love his no-bullshit attitude. I mean, he's there. It treats him more like the trash tier business that Onky Doink is instead of just quick jollies. And since he's really the only male character that gets any focus in this show, besides a few, the very precious few scenes where the general's in, it's refreshing. Like, 
He's like, yeah, he's the only guy here, but also he doesn't have to like go to his head. He can just be like, yeah, I'm the only guy here, but still I'm doing my job, trying my level best to keep manager from fucking things up more. He's surrounded by girls, but he doesn't act like he's surrounded by girls. He just goes from cafe to cafe trying to shake down those who are behind on their payments for sweets money. And somehow, I don't think that they're using that money for uh, sweets if you catch my drift. Also, the cafe has a panda. Do we want to talk about the panda? How do you we know, do that without spoiling the entire show, honestly? Let's not, but you are going to love the panda. And they have a name. It's Okachimachi. That's pretty it, much all we have to say about the panda. The panda makes the show. Yeah, panda, great. Say, I'm not going to say anything further. As they say, if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny anymore. And we don't want to take that away from you. There are plenty of other characters as well, but I also love uh, the villainess. The main villainess, that is Nagi, the head of the Creature Land group. Sometimes you don't need to have a sympathetic villain in order for them to be memorable. And this show goes out of their way to make Nagi as unsympathetic as possible, and yet it works. Sympathy for the devil. That is all I'm going to say. She is a maid who cares more about her own power, and that Creatureland group maintains influence over Akihabara. And she is not afraid to break the legs of her own maids in order to do it. It reminded me almost of like that... Uh, was it in Austin Powers 2, Dr. Evil comes back and they're like, well, we've made all this money and we're doing really well. And it's like, have you bashed any heads in? Have you come up with any evil schemes? Well, no. Well, then what are you doing here? And, you know, those kind of villains are just entertaining as all get out. And this strong cast of characters makes for an incredibly entertaining show that goes all sorts of fun and different unique places. Do we want to talk about the ending of the show? In the most balls-to-the-walls way, or are we going to dance around spoilers? Let's keep it spoiler-free. I thought okay. it was really good. I thought they summed everything up really well. You can kind of see where it's going, but it's a really nice touch to it all. It's an ending that you kind of feel, as much as I love the show and as much as I'd love to see more shows like this, the, the ending nailed it and it it felt nice and complete and everything kind of panned out in a way that you could go home with and go yeah this was a really excellent show they kind of grafted the ending of a 26 episode show onto a 12 episode show but in a good way because honestly i'm not complaining I mean, in my head, if I wanted more, it, it allows the fans to sort of go to decide for themselves if they want more without either the show or without the show itself going, oh, we want more. Give us more. Give me a whole season of stuff we never we never got to. No, we kind of we covered enough ground for a full season and. Clearly the show wants to be a 12 episode show. I'm not sure if they're going to make more of this. I'm going to jump in and say I hope we do, but but the ending, like, you could make more of it. You could leave it as is. It's kind of, it's got that satisfaction to it where the show knows it's a memorable show in a way, but it doesn't make you go, we need five more seasons of this. 
Yeah, I think it works that I agree it speeds up at the end, but I think it works because all the events and everything just starts coming faster and faster and crescendoing. And that does kind of feel right for a mafia type or Yakuza type show that basically everything starts going wrong and then it only goes more and more wrong from there. My thoughts on the ending are, is it rushed? Yes, but that's how the show wanted it to be. And from what I understand, it kind of emulates the ending to most Yakuza dramas in that the ending just tends to end on a big climax and that's it. It's over. And I just love the sincerity of it. It's just, okay, show's over. Go home now. There's no more. I mean, granted, it does have an epilogue and boy, oh boy, do I love epilogues in anime, but the way it ends, like, you could take the epilogue out and I would be satisfied. Exactly. The ending reminds me of a, uh, darn it. There's a famous, it was either a movie or an anime. It's a mafia show that has a similar ending. My camera, what the hell it 91 was. 91 Days. Yeah, that was the first thing that popped in my head was 91 Days. Although I was thinking of, like, a Western movie, but fuck it, 91 Days. Let's go with that. Very 91 Days-esque ending, uh, which... Frankly, you don't see a whole lot of these days, and that's why you enjoy them. And as much as I would like a second season of Akiba Made War, I'm at least happy with what we got. This show doesn't need this show doesn't need to have a second season. It'd be nice, but the tale of the girls at Oinky Doink is complete, and we don't really need to see any more. I was going to say, I don't think the show is going to get a second season, but I'll take a clone. I would say take, fix some of the initial problems and keep the vibe up. But I want made shows that are more like this and less being either wall-to-wall drama or wall-to-wall etchy. You know what I mean? Just take, I wouldn't, I want a clone. I don't want more seasons. I want a clone. Just, you know... Keep the vibe going, because we need more shows like this, honestly. Yeah, I think that's what I would prefer. Even if you were going to do a, a second season, I would rather it be set in the same world, but different characters, because I think this story is complete. But yeah, if you ask me what would I really like to see, just green light more shows like this that are dark and funny and entertaining and take big risks and, you know, they're not always going to pay off, but this one did. And I would love to see, you know, greenlight another dozen of these, please. And, and you know, can about a dozen isekai, and I think would be in a lot better mix. Oh. Yes. Oh, the anime industry would be so much better if all studios just stopped making isekai. Damn straight. Well, after this, uh, PA Works would go on to make the spy family-alike show Buddy Daddies, which, from what I've heard, is actually not bad. Yeah, it's what I've heard. It's all right. Not setting the world on fire, but it's all right. But I agree with Eric. I would like to have another season of Akiba Made War, but not with these characters. Maybe a prequel show. Maybe a show set sometime when Ronko was in jail, but... Yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more of the world of Akiba Made War, because 
For a show about maids, they did a lot of world building and character building, and I really do appreciate that. It feels lived in, and there's even passive dialogues about how Akihabara is not safe for the common man. They talk about how, oh yeah, there was another maid shootout, etc. Basically, Akihabara is to Tokyo what Patterson is to northern New Jersey. Thank God you didn't say Baltimore. Because <laughs> I'm recording this from outside of Baltimore right now. <laughs> oh, trust me. Everybody loves making fun of New Jersey. Myself included. Yeah. Actually, I'm also glad you didn't say Camden either. <laughs> nah. How much fun would it be to have a Ronco Stone Ocean? Sign me up for that show. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and I'll add on top of that. Either go all in with the retro to actually, you know, make a hand-drawn show, or just say, it's 2018, here's a new, the Maid War sprung back up because Akihabara blew up since they, since the Maid Wars ended. Here we go. Lastly, before we get to final thoughts, is this the best anime about maids? Is that even a question? Yes. Because, like, what's its competition? Hanauko, Maid Team, Mahoromatic, He's My Master. I guess Maria Holic is in there, too. I, I, have, I, I have to say I have a soft spot for Mahoromatic, but yes, this is a really good show and one of the top shows of the year and one of the few shows that you know, I don't go back and revisit stuff that often, but I I will definitely be revisiting this from time to time when I'm looking for the Black Lagoon style fix. I gotta say this though, as badass as some of these maids can be, ain't got shit on Roberta. Well, no one does. Also, I guess we can lump Victorian romance Emma in there too, although that's a different kind of maid show. That's more a soap opera than a moe show. Also, how did you miss Maid-sama? A show that I literally blind bought the other day because it has maids on the cover. Oh, I forgot that one too. Uh That's why I was that's why I was like, "Hey, it ain't romantic drama like Maid-sama." Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. My final thoughts on Akiba Maid War. It's kind of a shame that this show sort of fell by the wayside in a season where Chainsaw Man, Spy Family, and others dominated discussion. Because to me, Akiba Maid War was the best show of that season. A fun, dark comedy that lovingly embraces parodying Yakuza films that goes to all sorts of fun and crazy places. And hey, it's an anime original, so you don't have to worry about them following the manga or wondering how they're going to adapt this. Because each episode offers you something different and unique. And that's kind of why I love watching anime originals during the seasonal periods. Because you don't know where they're going to go. I love shows like this that even some of these ones I'll mention aren't even anime originals. But it's the ones that are these little diamonds where no one's really talking about it. Or at least not near as much as the big things. They go a little under the radar and then you watch it and you're blown away. It reminds me of, you know, Flip Flappers or Other Side Picnic or some of these other ones where they will kind of wash out in the seasonal anime, but five years from now they'll stick in your head. 
even if you're one of the only few people that remember it and finding these later on is like a gem so hopefully you know listening to this podcast or listening to uh aka is kind of like that too from last time these are real gems that are absolutely worth watching over 99.9 percent of whatever's on this oh yeah i've never had a show that that so quickly made me immediately want to buy stuff for it like buy shirts buy merch Okay, I'm not buying figures. I'm, I'm like past that point in my life. But I've never had a show that so viscerally connects as fast as it does. Not even Attack on Titan, which is one of my favorite anime ever, really hooked me as hard as the show does. It literally took me five seconds to fall head over heels in love with this show. Like, I barely made it past the opening scene to fall in love with this show. And it's a show that, that um, it, it crosses a lot more boundaries than people give it credit for. It's a shame because with all the hype that you get, you see bigger shows for doing this, that, and the other thing. It's like, hello, Akiba Made War over here breaking, like, if you want anime that truly crosses boundaries in terms of pushing things forward, this is one of the shows that does that. The best thing in my mind that any show can be is something you've never seen before. Oftentimes you see stuff that, oh, it's the same old thing. Maybe it's good at the same old thing. This is something you've never seen before, and you deserve to treat yourself to it. If you're curious about Akiba Made War, it is not out on Blu-ray yet, but when it does, please buy it and support the industry. If you want to watch it, your only option at this point is on High Dive, but who knows, it might start streaming outside of High Dive. We can only hope and pray. But that's going to do it for this episode. If you like this show, please give us a like, subscribe, and follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, any place you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at OtakuNateShow. And you can follow me on Instagram at NateTendoWee, where I just recently posted a few photos of me at ZenkaiCon in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Didn't have any panels there, sadly. And my journey to the Midwest College Hockey Regional Finals between Penn State and Michigan was supposed to go home from an anime con and ended up at a hockey game instead. How did that happen? Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we go from the cute and innocent world of maids that love killing people to some good old-fashioned, hot-blooded, 70s super robot goodness. And oh, this show is, uh kind of important. It may not be the most popular or the most well-remembered, but it is significant because this anime was the launch pad for the man who would create Gundam, Yoshiyuki Tomino. And its significance is a lot greater than you would think. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we are going to take a look at Studio Sunrise's Zambot 3. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Eric Berg. This is Justin Young. And we're signing off and saying, Oi, shikunare, moe, moe.